Cradeline Network. the law and this is the 28th episode of big meg one my name is connor lots of my friend eli and this is the podcast where two americans patrol their way to the judge dread magazine this episode we're covering the magazine for january and february 19 1993 volumes two issues 19 to 22 this episode, Dread Goes Heavy Metal, Sleaze and Ryder Hit the Trail, Armitage Flashes Back, Al's Baby Armor's Up, and Mechanismo Returns. How you doing this week, Eli? Doing great. Yeah. Very right. apt descriptions. Yeah, doing my best. You know, I like that you, um, before we started recording, you said that uh, some real cool comics this time, some real gross ones, and I think everyone can agree with that. It's definitely... <laughs> And we got a John Hinklinton heavy series here, so that means that there's going to be some grossness for sure. (laughs) And speaking of which, oh, sorry, if you want to read along with us from the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 18, Judge Anderson, the Sci Files 2, The Complete Owl's Baby, and the Judge Dredd Magazine number 290, which we'll get to someday. But until then, Eli, until that futuristic time. Let's get started with Story One Warhog. Script robot Alan Grant, Tony Luke, art robot Zausus, letter robot Tom Frame. All right. High tech weaponry. <laughs> yeah, in the ever popular Alibaba. A biker wrenches on his motorcycle, complaining about his tools, when suddenly a bike appears out of the shadows. The mechanic, Cosmo, recognizes that biker's voice and asks him, and the bike asks him where the others are. Cosmo gives them up, whoever they are, but then gets run down by the biker, and as the bike comes by, like a sword pops out of its handlebars and cuts that dude's head off. It's awesome. It's okay, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> Meanwhile, Dredd gets a report from Sakatomi Weapons, which sounds like Sakatomi to me. And they say that a war bike is on a rampage. Dredd responds and fights the bike, rolling around with Cosmo's head stuck to the middle of its spike. And it's fight time. Dredd and the bike drive past each other. But then Dredd crunks into a dumpster and the war bike escapes onto the main sked, like the, the highway of Mega City 1. Dredd gets told some tech specs about the vehicle as a bu- as a bunch of biker types hang out at Greaser's Corner when that war bike arrives and they're like, it's him, but you're dead. And the bike's like, not quite, as it starts shooting missiles and taking out bikers and stuff like that. Pretty awesome there. <laughs> One surviving biker explains like, oh man, you got to understand, Hog, or like when you died... We sold your brain to some company. And Hog, the guy on the bike, I guess, says, I wasn't quite dead. So they hardwired my brain into this war bike. And now I'm out for revenge. <laughs> Classic story, Eli. Tales Classic old as story. Time. Exactly. <laughs> Dread arrives on the scene as this happens and shoots the rider of the war bike. But the rider is just a dummy. The brain's actually in the bike. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, the the bike pulls out a drill from somewhere and kills that last <laughs> biker, his own brother. But now it's finally showdown time as Dredd and the war bike get involved in a car chase, and with the bike getting smashed by a truck when Dredd drops an oil still slick. The day saved, he orders judges to Sakatami to for illegal research as he pulls Hog's bright pink brain out of the wreckage of the bike. Oh, it's gross. <laughs> You know, I, I thought this was just some silly, like, dread action here, you know? Oh, yeah. I like this. I, I like this artist. He's sort of, like, he's got a... He, he's kind of painting these action yeah. scenes and stuff, and they're a lot of fun. Yeah, I really love the painterly style. I also like... Uh, I'm, I don't know if it's just timing, but I'm starting to appreciate Dredd's weird ending one-liners. Like uh, oh, that's always been there. Yeah, he, come yeah. on. Well, I feel like we, we we're longtime fans of these yeah. one liners yeah. or just the, the, these these jokes and moves yeah. at the end of these of yeah. these fights. You know, Pull, pulls the brain out and says, "Guess you just don't have the brains for anything else." Like, oh <laughs> no, yeah, it's the terrible. Puns. It will haunt your dreams. Dreads, dreads puns. Fantastic. Uh, but yeah, no, our art was great. Uh, I like that it was going through the tropes. Uh, at a pace that was slow enough that I was like, the bike showed up. I was like, that's probably someone's brain in a bike that threw some mm. type of sci-fi thing and now is out for revenge. Mm-hmm. And then slowly being like, yes. Yeah. That is I feel like exactly. I thought it was going to be an animated bike from the start. I got thrown off by the fact that there was a guy riding it. I was like, wait a minute, what? Like, should it just be a bike on its own or something <laughs> right. like that? Yeah. And I do also love that um, they kept having the weapons off screen and just coming out and killing people. So you didn't actually need to show where the bike had a drill or where it had a sword. Mm -hmm. It was just like, weapon. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Just pops it out. It works out. It's fine. (laughs) And hey, speaking of killer bikes, Eli, let's go to story two, Sleaze and Rider. Script about Garth Ennis, art robot Nick Percival, letting robot Mary Green. New story here, new thrill. Uh, Sleaze and Ryder are a pair of cool dudes with cool motorcycles headed out to do cool things on the cursed earth, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we see them leaving Mega City 1 from the West Wall as Dredd warns them about the dangers of the cursed earth. But they aren't worried about that, man. They got a very... <laughs> Um, Easy Rider aesthetic. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Um, no, no. But like, there's a character in that who like wears a lot of America stuff, for instance, and mm. you can see that with like um, Riders, cool shades, and American flags on all of his like leathers right. and motorcycle and stuff like right. that. <laughs> and as you do with that stuff, they're headed out to find out what's left of America. Man, it's gonna be a party. All right. <laughs> so. Sleaze and Ryder, they're blasting out over the cursed earth. They're riding over the dinosaurs that live out there and so forth. When suddenly they're spotted by a bunch of no-good mutants, jit kicker, and inbred kids with a Z. They all go to kill Sleaze and Ryder, but our lads are not unprepared as Ryder pulls out a tri-barreled rifle. Basically, just only says it's cool as he goes around blowing people's heads off and tricking a super mutant to driving off the side of a cliff into the mouth of a T-Rex. <laughs> the Cursed Earth is pretty cool, but our boys haven't seen the nasty parts just yet. <laughs> 
So Jit Kicker and the inbred kids have co- have now cornered Sleaze and Ryder at the end of a cliff. But it's cool, Sleaze, as the pair jump the canyon on their motorcycles, which seems to have now been filled with lava. Right. They Yeah, listen, got to fill it with something, I guess. They make the jump, but the kids don't chance it. Except for little for Jilly Bim Joblob, Kit's nephew. But he doesn't make the jump. He falls into the lava and burns up. Oh, Kit no. swears revenge. It's terrible. And then we see that all oh, this is being observed by robot. A robot fish and a robot vulture? Yes. Bald eagle, maybe? <laughs> I think it's a bald eagle. Uh, if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah, they are, yeah. They're named Custer and Manson, and they've both been programmed during sort of the great atomic war that takes took place before Judge Dredd began as part of something called Project Megadoom. <laughs> Custer goes on a long diatribe about the old days of America during the great nuke war. Apparently, Megadoom will restore America with proper city names and traditional swearing. None of this drock stuff. <laughs> anyway, meanwhile, Sleaze and Ryder are rolling through the countryside when they get ambushed by those muties. Oh, no. They'll be brought back to the mutant village for a revenge party. You don't want Terrible. to get invited to those. No, no. It depends on very where bad. you are on the list. It's true. It's true. If you're the revenger, I bet they're pretty fun. <laughs> if you're the revengey, it's all bad. Correct. <laughs> the boys are brought into the mutant camp, which they've just playfully labeled Mega City 4, as a booting session begins, you know, where they get booted. <laughs> Sleaze is terrified because Ryder refuses to say that it's cool. Oh, jeez. <laughs> As the bikers are bu- are booted, the mutants discuss what else to do with them. Several ideas are tossed around, including inflation and covering them with honey. Meanwhile, Custer and Manson are putting Megadoom into action by reanimating the preserved brains of three former presidents, uh, Nixon, Reagan, and Kennedy. And here's where we got some political jokes, Eli, because Reagan's brain is very small, while Kennedy's brain is only two-thirds intact because he got shot in the head you know whatever uh, messed up i was wondering about that one but that that yeah. does make sense good old visual yeah. humor good times the mutants have figured out how they'll kill sleaze and rider the chunderbowl one of the mutants takes some octum spitfire pills which i guess might be a like a joke about an english brand or something like that and pukes a giant green puke full of bottles and judge helmets and God knows what else on the bikers. Yeah, pretty all gross. (laughs) Definitely. At the same time, the robots are reviving the presidents, and they just want to do what they're famous for, uh, picking up chicks, breaking into hotels, and watching Little House on the Prairie. But I should mention, Eli, these presidents' brains aren't just in jars. They're in robots. And so they and the robot bird and fish to prepare to go out and conquer America, I guess. But it won't just be them because they've got the Robo Roller, a giant six-wheeled murder platform. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sleaze and Ryder are barely above the puke, and as they go under, Ryder is forced to admit for the first time, it ain't cool, Sleaze. Mm. It ain't cool at all. Yeah, you don't want that. It's it's the Mm -mm. worst. Next time, Beyond Chunderbowl. (laughs) 
because it's like beyond beyond Thunderdome. I don't uh, know. Okay, got it. Uh, yeah, it, it tracks. It tracks. Uh, weird story, but fun. I'm glad that yeah. they're just being goofy with it. Fun but silly. I agree, and just like you can't take it too seriously, or really try to. You just kind of got a little wash over you a little bit, right? Yes, like the puke of the Chunderbolt. Right? Yeah, of the Chunderbolt <laughs> itself, indeed. <laughs> I feel like Nick Percival is sort of trying to like his art looks a little bit like the art for uh, for like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I guess. Like mm-hmm. like like that novel, I guess. These sort of like it's in color, but still these very kind like. I don't know. The way that people are drawn is very similar to that sort of art style by an artist whose name I forget. Anyway. Um, <laughs> it's okay. We'll forget. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You know, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. This one's going to be around for maybe another episode or so. Um, just yeah. a quick a quick jump in for some action. I think yeah. it's not a long-term goer, I don't yeah. think. Yeah, it does look like it's wrapping up. And it does. It reminds me of the same vein as the Soul Sisters. Kind of just a bunch of jokes, mm-hmm. a bunch of things happening. But I like this one more than Soul Sisters. I think it's yeah. because it's somewhat sensical. You know, it's it's wacky, mm-hmm. but it's like, hey, we're on a road trip that we shouldn't be on, and we're just trying to have fun. Yeah. What do you mean there are yeah, consequences? It, <laughs> right, right. You're right, though. It does very much have that, like, every panel tri- is tr- is definitely trying to have at least one joke in it, I mm-hmm. think, whether it's visually or in terms of writing or something like right. that, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like the cool guy has his glasses welded to his head. Uh, right. They which, cannot come off. Right, absolutely. Exactly. That's maximum coolness. Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> anyway, speaking of another cool dude and a blast from the past as well, because it's a flashback. Let's talk. Let's go to story three, Armitage. Script robot Dave Stone, art robot Charlie Adlard, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. All right. So in Britsit. Detectives Armitage and Treasure Steele are going over files for a case when Treasure notices a framed photograph of a woman on Armitage's desk. She asks him about it and he gets angry, but then says it doesn't matter anymore. And that means it's flashback time. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's morning in the year 2087 so 27 years in the past from when this story takes place and even like 12 years before the start of the Judge Dredd timeline in 2000 AD as a hip young Armitage he's got like dark hair and is carefree right leather jacket he's, <laughs> absolutely he's cool dude he's bringing in an arms dealer carefree attitude soon he's on a new case that's less carefree though as some, uh, there's some kind of big murder scene built around chained up bodies in South London. It's quite grim. Armitage notices that one of the corpses has lined scars on the side of his face, maybe some kind of tribal marking. Um, and Century reports in that those are the markings of the Big Sun family tribe. And Armitage is headed there to investigate where they live at the um, in one of the city dumps. At the dump, he finds a little girl. Um, who's a member of the tribe who through broken English explains that judges have attacked her people and taken some of them away. That afternoon, another detective judge talks to Armitage and Armitage sort of explains what he's looking into. He's got a bunch, he's got like evidence that the Justice Department has been doing stuff against the tribe, like sort of vehicle requisitions and other sort of like secondary evidence. But the actual record of like judges rolling in to like bust heads or something is not, it, it, it is unavailable. He can't find it. And that's odd. 
He asks the older detective to check it out, then heads home to meet his girlfriend, Leora. She works in sanitation, apparently, and but then does her best to help him take his mind off the pressures of his job. Later in the night, there's a buzz at Armitage's door. It's that old detective from earlier. Armitage lets him in, and the judge falls into the apartment, dead and partially burned. Oh, no, it's bad. There's, like, uh, conspiracies afoot and so forth. So, after Britsit judges have arrived on the scene, Armitage says this whole thing was a warning to him. He wants a judge assigned to keep Leora safe over her objections. And with that sorted out, Armitage heads back to the new old Bailey to investigate sort of what that judge was looking into and finds that the files he's been working on have been swapped out. Same with Detective Dave's. But Armitage remembers that they set up a mail drop arrangement just for these sorts of situations and finds the thumb drive slash audio cassette thing hidden under a desk, which is important. It's important when you're theoretically working on conspiracy-based things, Eli, to set up ahead of time where you'll put stuff in case things look, look scary, you know? Right. Part of the job. It's like in the, it's in the description. Absolutely. Absolutely. A, ca- a counterintelligence or whatever. So Armitage heads to a random corner to listen to the tape. And it seems that the reports came back to the vic or that the reports came back for the vic- on the victims of the crime. Each was tortured by a different individual, which means that this is clearly part of some kind of weird like saw or hostile based group activity with the material provided by the Justice Department. Apparently, it's been going on for years. It must go all the way to the very top of Britsit society. As we hear this, we see Armitage investigating this setup, eventually finding his way to a van full of bodies when a voice says his name, and we see that it's Eiffel Dragoson, who's that crime boss guy that we met in the last Armitage story, just in case, you know, to bring it back to you. Right. Um... Then he was confined to some kind of life support chair, but here in the past, he's spry and still standing, and has a pair of goons about to kill Armitage. Well, not if Armitage scutches one of them with a knife first or something. (laughs) The cop tries to keep fighting, but Drago shoots him with a trank dart, and things look bad. Armitage wakes up naked and chained to a wall with powerful floodlights illuminating him. Dragosan threatens Armitage with some kind of weird sci-fi weaponry thing, says that his disappearance will soon be covered up, and Drago pulls out a second sci-fi torture device from the table, and Armitage might just end up being a new showpiece for him. Ooh, not cool. This weird cut people up, guys. (laughs) Don't like those. (laughs) Covered in blood, San is called out to meet with the prospective client. He leaves Armitage behind, blood, you know, uh, covered in blood and wounds in occult shapes and stuff cut into his body. He leaves a goon to watch over Armitage, thinking the cop's beaten, but in fact, Armitage is made of sterner stuff, and he lethal weapons the goon, mm-hmm. and or lethal weapon ones the goon, and manages to free himself. That's when you take a guy out when you're like, when you're chained to the ceiling, and you gotta take someone out just with your feet, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's an right. important move. <laughs> <laughs> he... Yeah, so he uh, f- he frees himself, acquires pants and a knife along the way, and then soon on the roof of Sa- of San's base, the crime boss is meeting with a young Viscount, 
But then Armitage appears, takes out a bunch of goons, and when Dragosan tries to escape, Armitage throws his knife right into his back, causing him to fall many stories to the floor. Ooh, it's a pretty cool fight scene here. <laughs> um, later, Armitage is getting banded up bandaged up by other judges as they arrest the Viscount. A judge says, if you want a matching pair, they'll take a week to regen, which is disturbing, frankly. I don't know what he's right. talking about there. Oh, yeah. yeah. He lost a nipple during that torture device. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> the whole That's time I was disturbing. like, not the nipple. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, the softness, you know. It's tough. <laughs> now we got to look at future, at current Armitage and, see, and right. see if he still only has one. You know, that's right. important. Check it out. <laughs> anyway back at the new old bailey armitage gets a message and it's dragosan he survived the fall and though he needs a new renal system and his spine was severed he's still saying don't think you've won because he starts monologuing about the extent of the influence he has over britsit as armitage rushes home and finds liara dead gruesomely murdered clearly at san's request in the present day and back in color, Armitage returns from his flashback. Treasures found the clues they need and the pair head out to get their man. And the story ends with a French quote that translates to, yes, it used to be, but we've changed all that. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, I put it did, into, you just know French? No, I, I put it into Google Translate. Got it. Okay, okay, cool. I was like, wow, you're so cultured. No, no, I know Spanish because the Duolingo, but yeah. not, not not French. Um, nice. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. This was kind of interesting. Like, uh, like you know, Armitage is, really, is this character that's really been pushed in these early days of the Meg. And so mm -hmm. it's interesting to see sort of we, we got some hints of the backstory in the previous in, in in the previous Armitage adventure, and this one's sort of providing some more details to it. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Yeah, the standard lost love uh, on the case due to this stuff. Uh, so it's all very uh, standard, but it was still yeah. very entertaining to watch Armitage yeah, go through all that. Agreed. Yeah, I think it is kind of a, of a by the numbers, kind of like, you know, cop on the edge kind of story, for sure. <laughs> right. You know, as a as a lover of, the, of, of, of cops on the edge, generally, you know, I appreciate a lot of the work here. You know, just, yeah, yeah. you gotta, got a tragic past that sets up an enemy, you know, mm -hmm. like <laughs> right. that, like running back and seeing and like finding your dead love while the bad guy monologues about how powerful they are. That's a pretty standard beat, you know, mm -hmm. but I think it's, it's also a good beat and one that we don't right. honestly because dread is such a robot and stuff we don't get a lot of this side of the cop story you know right. in judge dread stuff right yeah and i think they couldn't be too adventurous because we already know uh, armitage in the present so we saw yeah. the photo of the, the girlfriend so we know she's dead and we already know the guy who he's fighting so when you stab him he falls off i'm like oh he's fine yeah, he's, he's gonna have He'll some type of revenge through. later. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's why they don't. That's why they don't kill him in in. That's why they just do that in the last episode. It's not like a cliffhanger or anything like that. Like you kind of know he's gonna make it and stuff. I will mention that this is, of course, an example of like fridging or other sort of like you know, oh, yeah. comic book stuff where this is definitely a lady getting killed just to kind of provide some some background sadness for this dude. Right. Like that's yeah. all she that's was all she lived for. That's all she died for. You right. know, just being. Yeah clear I, you know i just uh learned about fridging so yeah it's good to have a 
textbook example to be <laughs> like know, like this. A, this is very very high up there, absolutely. Especially the like <laughs> bad guy voiceover as you find the body. That's uh, sort of, that's a key right. way to do it. You know. Yeah, and I also did like. Um, I found I was glad they found an artist that's art style was close enough to the uh, colored artist. Well, I think it's the, uh, the same artist. I think it's Charlie oh, Adlard the whole the whole time. You know, and he's just oh, sort wow. of like I think it's cool. Yeah, that he sort of went to a like line, you know, black and white line mm. style, and then yeah. for the flashback. So I mean, obviously, that's what honestly that's what Charlie Adlard is the most famous for the black and white stuff because wow. he's you know is the artist for The Walking Dead and stuff like that, or he he <laughs> will be in this timeline. You know. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, because, yeah, I, it looked like the proportions just on Armitage's forehead changed so drastically that I was like, he draws oh, maybe it's differently. a different artist. Like he draws but. like a younger, you know, he draws him younger and it feels like he really like, it's not just like, it's not like a TV show where you just get the same guy, but he's wearing a wig or something like that. <laughs> like, I think he really did try to make like a younger looking Armitage, I guess. Yeah, like he's yeah got, it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. I think it's a fun, it's a fun way to do, to play with color in these and sort of the the media of these comics for sure hey speaking of dangerous media eli oh yeah <laughs> let's blow it up with story for heavy metal dread Script about John Wagner and Alan Grant. Art about John Hinklinton and Keith Page. Lettering about Tom Frame. So all these stories originally appeared in Rock Power magazine. So they've got kind of a musical theme here as we see in comparison to your standard Dread Fair, you know. Including, as we start this story, Rock Power himself, the Big Meg's number one metal monster, is heading into a stadium to perform as hails of flowers and underwear pelts him, and then some kid rushes in. <laughs> He's Power's biggest fan. He's bought all of his merchandise, except for the zit cream, apparently, which Power just squirts right on his face and then charges him 89 creds. Suddenly, though, an armored car rolls up, kills a bunch of folks, and bald dudes with big guns kidnap power and the kid because he needs change for that zit cream purchase. <laughs> um, he's having a real cool day, honestly. Just, well, I've never bought pro brought merchandise from a rock star. And I've never been kidnapped beside a rock star. Right. He's just about that life. He just wants to have new experiences. He's having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. He's going to write such a blog after this. Oh, man. <laughs> Meanwhile, Judge Dredd appears on the scene and Hanklinton, always a fan of body horror, really, especially these heavy metal Dredd ones, just draws Dredd with a really weird neck muscle situation oh, yeah. here. Yeah, hard to look at sometimes. I have yeah. to look away a lot. Of That's not like how it, necks work at all. It's not. It's not how necks work. Even if you're like have a really muscular neck, it's not right. quite like this. You know. Right. Yeah, I couldn't but, even describe this neck to like if I had to use words to explain this neck. It's kind of got like a neck six pack almost, mm. but like, but like, but like. <laughs> You know how there's some muscle men where they kind of flex as opposed to being like, whoa, that guy's buff. You're like, whoa, that guy's kind of gross. Like it's mm. it's it's kind of like that, you know? Right. I don't but know. It's not even like there's the and structure like, to the neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, sorry. This. And it's like concave. Is, it's, right. it's got kind of like, like, a, like, like a divot in the middle of it. Like, yeah, I don't it's know. A, yeah, it's, it's no like good. It's like the muscles reverberated from the collarbone mm. upward through the neck. I don't know. Yeah. 
It defies description. It, it defies musculature, certainly. <laughs> like this is not drawn from one of those doll, one of those wooden dolls with the pieces on them and stuff like that. No. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm glad we talked about that because that's very much the elephant in the room for all these heavy metal drums. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Dread gives chase, blowing up the kidnappers with his bike cannon, first their car, then the dudes themselves. He uses a ricochet bullet to blow off a dude's jaw, which is pretty awesome. Um, and then eventually Rock Power is saved until that kid shows up and blasts him apart with like a Gatling gun. Because he's never killed a rock star before either. <laughs> Covered in the fine red mist of his hero, Dread takes the kid off to the cubes. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that kid, I mean, I should have known he was a murderer when he first got introduced. But, you know, it's a good twist. All I also these, like how... Uh, oh, yeah, go ahead, sorry. I also like how rocks, the rock star's face ends up plastered to the wall, like some type of weird rock poster, uh, which is awesome in a gross type of way. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's all, listen, the, the, no opportunities taken to not be gross in Heavy Metal Dread, I think. Right. That's pretty clear. There's also one other thing I noticed uh, just about the art and the posing. Mm -hmm. There's always like, I said, it doesn't, it, nothing's ever going on, but things are posed and hands are placed in vaguely like sexual context. Like mm. uh, even at the end when the kid's shooting the Gatling gun, his hand's like on his crotch and you're like, is that what's he doing there? Like it's probably just posing. Yeah, don't, but like don't worry like about it's it. It's also like you know, it's also just being like trying to be disturbing or trying to make you think mm. or just try to be right. like you know like I don't right. know about I don't know what's going on here. This is vaguely uncomfortable. You know, right. that's very much yes. the, the move they're going for. I think. <laughs> That's, that's true. That, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. They, hey, they did it. They nailed it. Yeah. And hey, speaking of like uh, dick jokes, let's just go to one big <laughs> one. As a, in our next story here is on the Rock Legends show, Casey Cussum, who's a caricature of DJ Casey Kasem, talks okay. about a pop group from Sector 69. Nice. It's mm -hmm. Dick, Dick, and Willie, the Gonads. They were a band. <laughs> They released a bunch of singles, but then kind of lost steam. So they brought in rock guru Malcolm Jism, who's sort of a Phil Spector type, who says, listen, there's only one thing to do, yeah? And that's take your, bo y your brains, right? And have them transplanted into monkey bodies. So they do. <laughs> <laughs> Dread barely in this works crowd control at their first concert as the New Monkeys. Hey, hey, we're the New Monkeys. We're always going to monkey around. I don't know. that There was a band in the 60s <laughs> called The Monkeys. Sadly, the novelty act only lasts so long, but then Malcolm has a new plan. Change your image. Become bad boys and stuff. Whatever. Wreck some hotel rooms. And they do. They take drugs. They trash a hotel room. But then they come under the, under the purview of Judge Shred, who beats him bloody, kills one, and gives the survivors and Malcolm time in the cubes. <laughs> Luckily, Malcolm has a new gimmick idea for once they're released, and it's to have their brains transplanted into giant cockroaches. The new Beatles are touring with a song that's a tribute to their fallen, for their fallen band member, eh? 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 Mm, yeah. And it's called... Lucy in the sky with Dick. Drock off and good night. <laughs> 
It's yeah. just it's just a lot of dick jokes, Eli. Right. Yeah. <laughs> dick jokes and violence. That's uh what I'm else really, do you need, really? I'm really used to it being more like hidden than this. Mm-hmm. I guess. Right. <laughs> like there being like a double on like 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 even not a double entendre, like a single entendre or something like that, right. you know? Right. Like, yeah. just have, like, something that's not just, like, this one's about dicks. <laughs> Whatever. Right. Yeah, it's tough. And it's, I don't know. I don't know what they're, well, it disturbed me. Definitely. Mm-hmm. They nailed a lot of that. Uh, and there's a lot the, of weird, like these guys all look real weird in there, mm-hmm. even as humans, but then definitely when they become monkey dudes and beetle dudes as well. Kind of gross. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They got Judge with this weird lower lip flap that doesn't look like that's where his mouth should be. It looks like he, he had no mouth and they cut a cut a U shape, uh, mm-hmm. a frown, and then that's where his mouth is now. And then like even the smiles are creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was it's a tough time. And yeah. But oddly enough, I found it more humorous because of the dick jokes. I had a mm. lot of t- trouble stomaching a lot of these. But this mm-hmm. is the one I'm like, okay, good thing with the dick jokes. Sure. I can, no, I, I can I, I, I hear they're, they're the spoonful of sugar that helps this medicine go down. <laughs> this weird art and stuff, for sure. <laughs> so our final heavy metal dread story is called The Most Dangerous Guitar in the World. There's a mu- robbery at the Museum of Metal and Dread's on the case. We learn about the museum and how it's pretty much built around a 2045 Fender Bender Stratoblaster, the only one ever made, and now it's been stolen. But not if Judge Dredd has anything to say about it, shakes my fist. Um <laughs> we got a pretty good full page picture of Dread here, just real gross. Um, and we see that Hinklinton also is a big believer in the bicep strap school of how the judges' shoulder pads attach to their bodies. Anyway, the perp isn't listening to, um, to Dread's um, order, so he goes after him. Although he's been shot a couple times, so the perp's losing blood, but he knows what he's got to do. You see, his favorite music venue, the Stonk Club, has rebranded as a country western joint. Oh no! And some, he goes in to play his rock music there. Some bumpkins try to stop him from entering, but Johnny and the guitar won't be stopped. He starts playing the guitar real loud, makes his way on stage where his tunes blow up singer Tennessee Anna Ford, and there's power chords flying off like bullets into the crowd. They're blowing dudes' heads off and stuff like that. Dread bursts in, gets his pun off. Now this is headbanging. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty solid. Um, right. Then he shoots the perp, and the body of the uh, of the criminal has a note attached to him. People ask, "Oh, what's what's the note? Like, does it say what he was up to?" And Dread just looks at the note and says, "It's about a it's a G major, I think, or G major right. to be precise." Right. G major, if I'm any judge, right? Uh, G major which, is a key, you fool. It's not a note. <laughs> judge anyway. Dredd clearly doesn't know anything about music. Like, it's true. Yeah, he's too busy too kicking busy perps' law. heads off. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, right. right. Uh, yeah, also gross. This one was short though. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and I didn't understand why people's heads were exploding. But I was, you know, I stopped. I stopped questioning it after a while. Yeah, you know, it's just so you know, it's like the power of the rock, I guess. Right. Like yeah, you just, you're, guess you're so. rocking so hard that right. people's heads blow up. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. They did the uh, thing where it's uh like in horror films where people are just made out of like um, jello. So mm. like anything happens to you and oh, yeah. you're you're just dead. <laughs> yeah, <right>? absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous what a ridiculous series of comics Eli in fact I think after that we should take a break so instead of talking about more stuff let's just quick or more comics let's just quickly talk about some covers editorials and dreadlines so issue 19 the secret pastor Brit sits detective judge Charlie Adlar draws an Armitage cover clearly based on that classic Scarface movie poster, the the black and white one that's in everybody's house, you know. Inside the editorial welcomes us to 1993-2115 and hypes up the new story starting this issue. The credit text says Shadows of the Past and in dreadlines there's a combination of letters complimenting stories like Mechanismo and Mrs. Gunderson and complaining about problems with delivery of the uh, magazine and the self-congratulatory tone of some recent issues. Issue 20, Mark Wilkinson draws dread, pointing to all those lawbreakers. As the editorial reflects, they've now released as many Volume 2 issues as they did Volume 1 and look ahead to upcoming stories, including Mechanismo 2, Judge Anderson, and something called Hark and Burr. We'll see all of those coming soon. The credit text says Dread wants you, and the Dread lines discuss Judge Hershey's first name, express both dislike and interest in social issues being covered in Dread, talk about the Kirby-esque nature of Soul Sisters, compliment Al's baby, and are pissed about problems with ordering back orders of or back issues of the comic. Issue 20, Big Guns! Carlos Escara draws Al and Al Jr. on top of a tank, the Storm and Norman, in a very fun cover. Storm and Norman reference to General uh, Norman Schwarzkopf from the uh, from the first Iraq War. You know, like big guy mm. back then in the early 90s, but sort of forgotten these days. Mm. Um, the editorial apologizes there's no space for dreadlines this issue. And to keep sending in survey replies, the credit text says Tank Boy. And finally, issue 22, a man and a robot um, stare Abbott and Costello style into the shining eyes of a robot judge in this spooky Peter Doherty story. Number five is alive, which gets the reference to the Short Circuit movie or whatever. The inside cover has an ad for the Best of 2080 Special Edition. Um, there's also an ad for the Metallica Nowhere Else to Roam tour and the classic Build Muscles Fast ad. We haven't seen a ton of ads in the magazine, so I think it's fun to kind of, I don't know, mention them when they show up, I guess. The editorial talks up both the return of Mechanismo and Arthur Ranson's uh, Judge Anderson, mentions that they're getting pretty close to the one-year anniversary of Volume 2, which will have some big stuff. Also, there will be some changes to the layout of the magazine, including, which we see here, making the opening page of the mag also like a list list of credits of the other stories inside the comic. The credit text says, heavy metal. And Dreadlines return with letters complimenting recent stories, asking about the title pages and layout of the comic, calling out some indirect dates incorrect dates in Al's baby, insulting X-Men's stories, and the U.S. comic process. That's the, uh, actually, um, yeah, they, the uh, 
the letter says X-Men is uh, better and is longer. And the editorial says like, hey, listen, like we tell short stories. And frankly, that's harder if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Good counterpoint. Yeah. They give some hints about the upcoming Judge Dredd movie and then give – and there's more suggestions for uh, Judge Hershey's name. The comic ends with an ad for the Anne McCaffrey, for the Anne McCaffrey novel Damia, which as I mentioned on Space Spinner, is a sci-fi novel series seemingly uh, about ladies sitting in chairs with fancy cats. Good times. <laughs> what more could you want? Hey, you know, it's it's fine. I said good times. I, I, I don't say that in vain, Eli. That's, that's solid <laughs> stuff. Whatever. <laughs> but with that respite taken, just to talk about the random stuff, I want to see what's going on with that tank. So mm, let's yeah. jump over to Story 5, Al's Baby. Script by John Wagner, art by Carlos Escara, letting about a Tom Frame. So, Eli, after a successful but messy literally hit, um, the boys, that's uh, Hitman Al Bastardi, his son Al Jr., his number one uh, uh, sidekick Sal, and then Tony, who's the nephew of Al's boss and sort of like college boy that's going to replace him as leading the gang and stuff like that, are headed um, onto their next target. But along the way, they trade their car for one that's less covered in blood. As, you know, just, you know, be inconspicuous. Like yeah, exactly. As Tony Stills tries to wash the stink of Al Jr.'s diaper off of him. With that fell in his head last episode or last time we talked about this. So they're in a small pickup truck now. And three men and a baby is a lot as they drive through the, through, through the Southwest <laughs> with Junior crying the whole way. When they arrive in Phoenix, it's definitely time for a day off, and they spend most of it poolside at a motel as Junior tries to murder a random kid and then pees right in the water when they try to discipline him. <laughs> Meanwhile, the surviving heads of the five families are talking together. It's clear that Don Sarcoma has sent Al Bastardi after them. There's no way to make peace. They just got, got to kill Al before he kills them. And speaking of killing, Al's still trying to kill Tony as he, Junior, and Sal, like, check out an animal park in Phoenix and learn about rattlesnakes. <laughs> they arrive back at the motel with a new car, and Al proposes a toast to crime and drugs Tony's <laughs> drink as he does. Tony soon passes out, and so Al drops about a dozen rattlesnakes into the man's hotel room. That'll fix them. They'll take them out. But Tony's so sound asleep, he doesn't even move, and the rattlers just kind of chill out, lying around him, basically. They're like, hey, this guy's cool. Whatever. I'll just right. use him to warm my cold blood, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and Al gets frustrated. But then a load of gangsters appear and they just start shooting up the place. Duck and cover. Just a bunch, like 10 dudes just shooting machine guns all through the, 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 the side of this um, hotel. But even a bunch of dudes firing machine guns isn't enough to wake up Tony, even when a, a big splinter of wood bounces off his head, cutting him. At, uh, Sal and the owls are hiding like in the water of the swimming pool waiting for the shooting to start and Al, the, uh, when they climb out Al is just happy that this hit club might have finally taken care of Tony but instead the goons just startle the snakes in Tony's room and run out of there and as do the snakes themselves they also escape and soon a crowd of bystanders is checking the room and find Tony alive but sleepy oh no <laughs> The gangsters pile into their car 
as the Don of Phoenix, Correa, is sad to learn he didn't kill any of Al's crew. The next day, Alan Sadler observing Don Vito Correa's ranch. It's heavily fortified, and he's clearly not leaving anytime soon. But suddenly they notice an army convoy convoy rolling by, and it seems that Tony knows how to drive a tank. Whoa. (laughs) Soon the hitmen have hijacked the convoy, and it's storming Norman time. The tank just blasts full speed ahead. It bursts through Correa's fence, blows up his house with his main cannon, blows up his car too. Correa tries to run for his barn, and that also gets blown up, but not before he comes out riding a, riding a horse. I love this. is just high action stuff. It's a lot right. of fun. Yeah. Horse named Dancer, which is a Christmas reference, I think. So I think yeah, that adds yeah. to the yeah. action. Yeah, Ho Dancer. Absolutely. Yeah, like one of the, yeah that's one of the, one of the reindeer for sure. The tank's cannon, though, isn't great for taking out a single horse rider. But luckily, also at the same time, Don Vito is not that great at riding a horse without a bridle or saddle, and he soon falls off. The crew chases the boss to an edge of a, to the edge of a cliff, where he tries to bargain his way out of things while literally just staring the barrel of a tank cannon right down the, the, the center of his face there. Vito tries to buy Al off, he even offers to give him a job at his, as his number two. Al actually seems interested by this offer because he's been kind of done dirty by, you know, his own, by, by, by Don Sarcoma. But before he can say anything, the cliff starts to crumble and Vito falls to his death. Three down, two to go. <laughs> Though Sal does seem a little worried about Al's loyalty because he was listening to that offer, you know. Mm, right. <clears throat> Later, a reporter recaps the violence in Phoenix and links it to the previous hits in Miami and Dallas as the two remaining bosses in Denver and San Francisco talk about what's going on. The Denver Don is nervous, but the San Francisco one isn't. He's got a specialist coming in. Meanwhile, to take another break, Al and Sal meet with their buddy Jerry in Las Vegas. And as luck would have it, one of the bosses, the one from Denver, Itchy Tania, is in town playing cards because he's so nervous he's got to blow off some steam by gambling. Jerry just asks that the murder not be done on, on the premises of his casino. <laughs> Later at the baby doll massage parlor, Al and Sal break in and take the place of Don Itchy's masseuse and kill the boss with, his bare, with Al's bare hands. Nice and easy. This was a quick one, not very elaborate. <laughs> There's only one boss left, Eli, but he's still got his plan. He's going to take out Al by bringing in a specialist to kill him. It's Al's nemesis from the first story, Mutt McCluskey. Looking much better without all the diseases all over his face. Yeah. Now that he's not recovering from like 50 diseases from having fallen into a a gangland outhouse, he's looking much better. Got a fresh suit. It's a good time. Clever though, that is the guy you want to get to get out. He is definitely the one who's got the who's got the most invested in taking him out. Absolutely, <laughs> the crew drives over the Bay Bridge into San Francisco. Yay! That's where we're from. As <laughs> Al tells Junior various violent versions of nursery rhymes. They leave Junior with a Mrs. Garibaldi and then head to Don Maxi Grosso's favorite restaurant where he's having a massive dinner of silly Italian food names despite the threat to his life. It's a lot of like, uh, you know, Beppi da Tutibetivi and things like that. It's like these fake, um, you know, Italian-y uh, pasta names. 
There's nine guys around the dawn, but our guy, but our boys have an idea. Al and Sal dress as cops, and Tony is dressed as a woman pushing a baby carriage. They're sending Tony in to kill the Don while Al is um, selling it all. You know, he tells Tony that this is a way, oh, you'll kill the Don. And so you'll earn your bones, right? And become like a real, uh, uh, like, like, like a certified killer like the rest of us. But it's clearly um, a setup to try to get Tony killed when he, got, when, it, it, when he tries to go into the situation. Tony manages though to push past the first goon by pretending goons to be by, by, by pretending to be a mother saying he needs milk for his baby, which I don't think you just walk into restaurants and get, and get that honestly. Right? But yeah. Who knows how it works in the future? I guess uh, the distant future of 2015. <laughs> <laughs> but so um. Yeah, so he continues in as Al and Sal look on. Tony enters the restaurant, demands milk, then tosses baby at one of the goons and pulls a pistol from the carriage as the Don is just kind of eating a whole fish, so sort of slurping right. it down his throat. Right. You got to like, that stuff, man. It's dangerous. No, no, no. Just got to slide it down. <laughs> Something. <laughs> Tony's like, this is from Don Sarcoba and fires a bunch of shots at the Don and then the goons, but his gun is full of blanks. Oh no. <laughs> Tony throws the gun and overturns table as he escapes the goons. Um, and then eventually jumps through a window to escape everybody cursing Al as he goes. And the goons in this excitement don't notice that the Don is choking on a fish. Al and Sal burst in as cops just in time to see the boss choke. Sorry, the last boss in their hit list die of choking and leave pretending to arrest Tony. Everybody's still in costume. The job is done and Tony's earned his bones. <laughs> Fish bones, that is. <laughs> the two men argue, but in the end, the mission is complete. Hooray! All that's left is to go collect Al Jr., but when they do, they find that Mrs. Garibaldi's all tied up. <laughs> Jr. has been taken by Mutt McCluskey. No, no. Next time, Blood on the Rock. Just fun stuff. I'm, I'm hoping this means like, like a big Alcatraz confrontation at the end of this or something like that. That could be kind of exciting. Oh, yeah. That would be cool. Yeah, there's two things I keep underestimating. Well, one thing I really like is how mean that little kid is. He oh, just yeah. punches kids on the way out of anything. Just, He's a terror. Uh, we're leaving. Absolutely. Take that, kid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, clearly going to be a, a great murderer. Um, mm -hmm. And then them uh, um, underestimating uh, – dang, I forgot his name. Uh, Tony? Yeah, Tony. Tony's immortality. He's clearly – Oh, some yeah. sort of have some sort of armor around his his energy that prevents him from any type of harm or danger. Totally, yeah. He made some kind of deal with the devil or something that's keeping him alive at this point. <laughs> and like, you might as well just go along with it instead of trying to go against it. You know, right? Exactly. It's a power you can utilize. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I, mean, I feel like they kind of did, but yeah. <laughs> right. I had a reference, but it's a One Piece reference, so I'm not sure if that works. There's a character named Usopp who does the same thing. He's completely weak, fragile, and very easy to kill, but just you cannot do it. People have tried, and he makes it out every single time. Nice. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a fun connection for sure. Yeah, just that Tony just keeps bumbling his way in and stuff like that despite Al's best efforts to kill him is pretty funny. Right. Hey, there was a Star Wars character that did that. What's the thing from Star Wars 1? 
it was the floppy ear thing. It was... Oh yeah, like uh, Jar Jar Banks is kind of like oh, that too. Yes. You know, right. everybody hates him, but you know he keeps turning up like a bad penny, Eli. Like like a bad penny <laughs> turns up. <laughs> and hey, speaking of a, of a death not being the end or whatever of surviving <laughs> against all odds. All right, let's go to story six, Recyc Man. We're just working our way through some of the uh, the other dread stories in these issues. This one's scripted about Alan Grant and Tony Luke. Art about John Hinklinton. Letting about Tom Frame. Um, also art- fairly uh, gross. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is by Hinklinton, who's the same guy who did the heavy metal dread stories. But hmm. he's toned it down a little bit here, yeah. I think. Especially <laughs> in terms of just dread's look and stuff like that, you yeah. know. He, he's referenced a human neck. And yes. he's using that for the next. I get it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> this was a little bit more. It's sort of like, you know, if Heavy Metal Dread is like a 12, this is more just kind of an 8 or something like that mm, on a scale of I, 10, you know. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> on a busy Mega City One street, like we said, a still pretty weird looking Dread makes a dude, Chuki, open a wrapped box revealing birthday gifts for his twins' birthdays. And he's like, I bought these with love, which you wouldn't know anything about, Judge Dread. And <laughs> Dread left him off with a warning and, like, hey, watch that lip, buddy. Um, the man heads to a payphone to tell his wife that he'll be late to the birthday party as Dread gets involved in a gunfight at a nearby jewelry store and a bullet passes through the head of one of those perps and kills this man as well his dead body is carted off to recyc but it seems as recyc's taken him apart he's retained some consciousness as this all happens and and, yeah it's just it's just the worst he just begs and pleads to not be recycled and professes his love to his family as he's gruesomely taken apart we get a good just kind of spine like exposed spine shot here and stuff it's no no good at all Um, later, the man's <laughs> wife and kids are shopping at a hardware store where everything's made out of recycled materials, and thus it seems the spirit of Chuki is inhabiting a video camera here. Okay. No time for that, though, because a shark mutant dude has burst in and is preparing to take Chuki's family hostage, and Dred's there preparing for a standoff as well. And things seem very tense when suddenly just all the knives and chainsaws and whatever else is in this store all come flying together and animate as a murder being that then kills these mutants and shouts like, I love my family, that kind of stuff. Chuki has saved his family as Dread arrives on the scene since one final message of love to his wife and then dies again and later some judges explain what happened and I guess it's the power of love or something and Dread makes a call back by saying don't ask me I don't know anything about it (laughs) I found oddly heartwarming which was weird Yeah. (laughs) This is as heartwarming as you're going to get for a story that starts with like multiple head head wounds and some dude getting ripped ripped into multiple pieces and stuff like that. And then some type of chainsaw beast coming for – to protect his family before disappearing into some form of consciousness, not dead, not alive. Yeah. I'm not going to think about it It too much, Conrad. I'm going to just – yeah, no, you're you're well served by not worrying about these the details too much, I think. 
Um, so let's continue on with Dread, though, with Story 7, Death Mask. Script by John Wagner, art robot Jousis, uh, letting robot Tom Frame. A distressed figure walks the rainy streets of Mega City 1 as you see images of a blind man walking to the edge of a balcony and then jumping off the side. He's street pizza, but the man's okay. He just seems to have visions of people in Mega City 1 dying. Dread finds him, calls into control to confirm the death, and then rubs, runs this man, gubbly Michael Cobb, in for observation. We learn that he got precognition powers, I guess, after surviving a truck accident. He explains he has visions of people dying in terrible ways, and he's always included in the death, like death wants to claim him. It's some kind of Final Destination thing, basically, mm. if you're familiar with that film series. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Death's going to claim him. Then he gets hit by a bus. Oh, that's my favorite. That's, that's one of my favorite moments in cinema, Eli, where the, some lady's like, death isn't out to get us. And she just steps off the curse and then wham! Bus. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Dread has side division called in because this could be useful when suddenly Gubbly has a vision. He's running from a man in white face paint, some kind of BDSM Joker type dude that stabs him with a big knife. The judges recognize this description as Death Mask, a local serial killer. It'd be his 12th victim. Dread gets enough info from Gubbly to figure out where the murder will take place and has the judge go to check it out. He finds the victim, but Death Mask is still nearby, and this leads to a car chase and a fiery explosion. Death Mask's okay, though, and the judge on the scene arrests him. Um, sorry, after, I like that he gives a speech to Death Mask saying like, uh, listen, I know you're a serial killer and you've got weird logic that explains why you're the good guy in this situation. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Pretty solid stuff there. Yeah. And so, yeah, Gubbly is uh, being taken to side division as Death Mask is being brought into the sector house when he, Gubbly, has another vision. Um, a judge thanks Gubbly for the info. Then Death Mask goes to kill this psychic snitch, kicking him off the side of the walkway. And he falls to his death. Death's finally claimed him. And it's too bad because he could have been useful right. as Death Mask laughs into the night. <laughs> yeah, I did. Li I did really like this one. I like the Final Destination stuff. Absolutely, um, it was fun, I also yeah. like. It's always that element of a uh, in Judge Dredd where they're like, "Oh, precognition, psychic ability." Yeah, let's let's get you on there. It wasn't. Oh, you're crazy. Get away from me. It was. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, it was like I it, yeah, they were they were skeptical <laughs> until they got a couple like uh, proofs or like things like like sort of explanations that like oh yeah this is actually what it is like this is you know hmm. he's a precog right. okay fine we verified it let's yeah. send him to the people that deal with this stuff you know yeah yeah and then I uh, uh, also like uh, the yeah psycho killer all your stuff I I. We've been here before. Is, yeah, they've is also seen. Times. They've also seen that before, right? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like your your act isn't charming, buddy. Like I'm not even right. dread. That that was just a standard judge that said <laughs> that said that. You know, he doesn't even right. care. Yeah, I'm waiting to see what has to happen before the judges are like, "What? No." Yeah, like, something that's disbelief. Like, moves the needle absolutely right. it's tough you know <laughs> right you gotta like destroy part of the world for that there's gotta be like you know right. apocalyptic zombies involved or something they've already i think we've been through that already they well, were yeah, like oh yeah get the stuff at the time yeah if it happens again oh, right. now it's like oh this old chestnut no thanks <laughs> <laughs> 
But I guess speaking of bringing back some older things, our final Whoa. dread story here. Story 8, Mechanismo Returns. Listen, I got these. Yeah. Got these <laughs> got these move it transitions, buddy. Yeah, you're nailing it. <laughs> Script robot John Wagner, art robot Pete Doherty, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. So we're seemingly right after the events of Mechanismo 1 as Mega City 1 news reports on the ju- robot judges being taken off the street following their malfunctionings and several deaths. That kid from the first story shoots his toy blaster at one of the decommissioned bots, but his mom's like, hey, you, you, know, you can't be too sure about these things. Like, don't, don't push your luck, kid. You survived once, you know. <laughs> um, tech judge Stitch orders the robot judges left where they are instead of being worked on. And inside of one of them, a loose wire sparks a circuit board. Ooh. Stitch goes to meet with Dredd and Chief Judge Magruder. She and Stitch are both arguing that the robo-judges should go back on the street once they get fixed. I mean, it was a pretty simple malfunction that led to their murders. You know, like, if they fix that, they should be fine, pretty much. And Dredd can't believe this. He argues that the robot should stay mothballed. Like, come on, you can't have judges. You can't have robots judging people. That's weird. Dread and Stitch go back and forth a little bit about the ethics of robots enforcing the law. And if, like, you know, Dread's like, robots can't understand the common man. And Stitch is like, you're Joe Dread. Do you understand the common man? Like, you know, <laughs> right. Great like, counterpoint. Yeah. Like, how often do you touch grass, Joe Dread? Get out of here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, and Magruder basically says that whatever the ethics of it, they need do they, they they just need boots on the street. Like there just aren't enough judges after all these damn apocalypses they've been having recently. You know, like we got to recruit, and the robots are good at it because it takes fifteen years to be a judge. You know, so basically, in the end, they need the manpower slash robot power. The mechanisms will return to the street, and Dread, of course, is quick to say that you're making a big mistake. That night, a pair of night watchmen, one a rotund human, the other a rotund robot, walk around the decommissioned robot judges. And the human, Gil, points out the ones that killed people, which have been uh, are sort of disassembled on the ground, as we see that loose wire sparking against the circuit board. The robots, though, very impressive, but these ones will have to be scrapped, I guess, as the eyes of one of these robo-judges starts to glow and its arm <laughs> springs to life. The judges prepare to leave the facility for the night as the robot judge fully activates and reconnects that wire, and now it's fully powered. Next time, number five is alive. Just a... Nice. a possibly rampaging robo-judge. That doesn't sound good at all. We'll see yeah, how it goes. Even that robo-justice. Oh, uh, no. That's the worst kind of justice, apparently. <laughs> uh, but no, really fun. I really also really like this artist. I think it was a good pairing uh, from the previous yeah. artist that did Mechanismo. I thought this one was also nice and clean. Very cinematic is the word I keep I kept coming to while Absolutely. I was looking at Absolutely. Yeah, it. this is uh, Pete Doherty who did A Young Death at the start of... Uh, mm. of of uh, the magazine, yeah, and I think especially these little cuts of like the uh, of the wire sparking and like mm-hmm. sort of slowly bringing Mechanismo back to life and stuff. These ones fe- that, that that's got a very kind of like horror movie feel, right? Mm-hmm. Of just sort of like mm-hmm. something slowly, slowly happening until mm-hmm. finally something big happens, and then right. like it's robot time. 
You know? Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was playing the uh, uh, music in my head. Dun, 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 dun. Absolutely. Like, oh, snap. It's yeah, going it's down. Tenser and tenser. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and so let's finish up with our final story. Story nine. Anderson Side Vision. Script about Alan Grant, art about Arthur Ranson, letting her about Annie Parkhouse. Judge Anderson is back, and this story is called The Jesus Syndrome. We see a preacher named Jean, named John Baptiste, not Jean, John Baptiste, leading a massive tent revival. He's got a sermon based around the sermon of the a sermon based around the Sermon on the Mount, but that leads quickly to a description of a heavenly army coming back to destroy the wickedness of the judges in Mega City One. And there's a pretty good computer mock-up of like the heavenly host coming and blowing up the city and stuff like that. It's pretty solid. Um, the preacher, though, says that people need only wait for this day. Don't do anything to stop it. Trust in the Lord. And until then, just kind of turn the other cheek and don't really like, you know, make waves or anything like that. Right. <laughs> Interesting, like resigned apocalypse kind of stance, right. I guess. Um, and then we see the judges watching a recording of all this. Ask for opinions. Anderson Nemesis Judge Goon suggests that they just go stomp this movement out. I don't believe this guy's call for nonviolence. It's just what violent people do before they get violent. And right. I don't know. I I see his point, Eli. I'm right. not gonna like in 2021. I see the point. You know. Right. I don't know. <laughs> no, the whole proper. The whole like. Hey. Don't do anything. Just stay complacent. I was like, okay, yeah, this guy's up to something. This like guy that, clearly needs to be stomped out. Goon makes a good point that that is what you say before you get violent with stuff. Like, right, I don't exactly. know. I don't know what to tell you. Like, he's making good points. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Anderson... Um, Anderson does seem to believe Baptiste, notes that Baptiste is giving hope and reducing crime among some of the city's poorest with his message. She says to let him keep going. And like, again, like she just seems kind of naive here, honestly, or even just like she's she's taking a naive stance because she just wants to disagree with Judge Goon, basically, because she hates him so much. (laughs) The boss judge here uh, charts a middle ground and basically orders Baptiste brought in for an interrogation you know because one way or another whether there will be violence or not we can't have people thinking that this jesus character is bigger than the justice department right that's the ultimate power here in mega city one you know right anderson uses a pendulum over a city map to quickly find the reclusive preacher but as they go to take him in, she and Goon get into a big shouting argument about about methods and stuff like that. He calls her a bleeding heart fool. She calls him a thug and a bully. And another judge is like, hey, like, you know, can we just do this arrest? Like, I got other things to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they decide they will. Next time on Judge Anderson, true faith. Nice. And this is the now, start of a couple this, stories for the. This is going to be a continuing Anderson story here. I like it. Well, I, I love the art. This is a. Uh, oh, yeah. Ranson's one of my favorites, too. And he's a real specialist for um, for Judge Anderson. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. He does, does a right. ton of work with her. Uh, but this that judge that's uh, being very logical and practical about, you know, cults. 
uh, is he a continuous character or is he yeah, only for this I one? I mean, I we've seen, I don't know if you remember that one that was, um, that was about Rodney King or whatever, like the poli- mm, yeah, yeah. police brutality Anderson story. He was yeah. the other judge in that one too. He was the judge uh, that, that beat the guy up and Anderson I was see. like, no, don't do that. You know, so <laughs> these are sort of returning characters that we've seen in the past for this stuff. Mm-hmm. But Both of these guys, although, you know, Judge Goon is very much like, isn't much more than defined by the name on his badge of being (laughs) Goon and, you know, whatever. Right. Doing all this, beating people up, etc. It is fun. And I also like uh, this artist in particular because they're so detailed and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, it seems anatomically correct. Some of the wackiness on the judge's uniforms look extra comical or weird because of that. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, we've we've <laughs> talked about this a lot, I feel like, because we've seen a couple of Anderson stories by Rance, and there was that one where Anderson fights like that angel in the in the, in the church, mm-hmm. like like deep under the city. And that yeah. one where she like went out on like Halloween with like some like uh, oh, yeah, yeah. A, a, a a young the, girl judges or whatever, some 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 mm-hmm. uh, cadets. And, and yeah, floated. I remember. Absolutely right. <laughs> and yeah, I agree. That the 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 really interesting thing about Ranson is just because his art is so realistic and so like you know looks like a photograph or something that it really mm. like it really when he does judge stuff it really like points out like both how ridiculous and just the the judges uniforms are but also like i don't know how they would actually be i guess like in like an for an actual person moving around with them you know as opposed to like the more the more superhero physiques or you know like right. let's not worry about physics that much approach that, that a lot of other people right. take you know yeah but no, it's really fun. And I, I, I'm a big fan of Judge Anderson stories. So I'm excited to see where this one goes and how she is proven wrong and has to come to terms with uh, the, yeah, things are messed up. And, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it's going to go in all kinds of weird decisions, in all kinds of weird directions, you know, so we'll see how it goes. But with that, Eli, I got, we've, re- we've reached the end of our stories and I got to know. What your top and bottom stories for this episode were issues 19 to 22 of the magazine. Yeah. You know, when I'm reading these, I should really think of that instead of just wait until the very end. Nah, no, I, I always put it off, off too. Like, that, that, that's right. fine. That's just how it goes. Uh, uh, I think <clears throat> I'm going to have to put uh, one of the heavy metal dreads on the bottom. They're just gross, and I don't like looking at them. That's fair. Yeah. That's super fair. Which one? Which one earns your ire the most? Do you think? I think it's the because it's really a this is this uh, process where I'll be clicking through, reading stuff, having fun, and then I see a cover page, and I'm like, oh mm-hmm. no, not this! What's yeah, wrong with fair. Judge Red's neck? And then uh, <laughs> so so I have to so I have to pick the the first one uh, from this um, set. Which was? Oh yeah, the uh, with the uh, with the rock power one or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes, that one had a lot of stuff made me uncomfortable. I'll admit it. That's fair. Listen, (laughs) Uh, but you know, (laughs) it's sort of uh, what this artist does. I think right, uh, exactly. So that's why that's sort of his like that's the up and the down of this guy, right? Of of that artist, you know. So I have to respect it, though. Like that's the thing, and that's mm-hmm. what that's what makes me the most uncomfortable is that I have to be like, well, <laughs> he nailed it. That he he wanted me to feel this way, and I'm feeling it. 
I just don't mm-hmm. like the feeling. So I can't, I can't hate the player. I have to, I have to hate the game. Fair. You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also on a narrative element, it does look like it's just, um, uh, it's a lot of crazy stuff to put Judge Dredd in these very gory situations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, these are not. So the, like, yeah, they aren't the strongest <laughs> narratively for sure. Mm, right. <laughs> uh, but you know, yeah. <laughs> it mostly just me talking about my feelings. Uh, sure, fine. But let's see. Uh, what to put on top, though? That's that's a trickier one. Uh, hmm. I did like Armitage, uh, but uh, the flashback element was uh, just a little too predictable. I'm, mm. I am really liking Al's baby. Uh, just seeing how mean this kid is and how, <laughs> you know, um, because it's ongoing, I think I can get a little bit more invested in the story, the plot, the characters. Um, and yeah, every chapter I'm like, how is Al's baby going to be an a-hole this chapter? This is going to be great. Um, so I think that might be it, but I also have a lot of hype for Mechanismo coming back. Mm. Um, but I'll, I'll, I think I'm going to put Al's baby on top. Um, nice. and, uh, just, uh, cause that one's already tried and true classic it's already awesome i already love them so might as well just uh give them the credit that they're due nice yeah uh yeah, but yeah how do you feel about these what, what are your top and favorite oh top man and my tops and bottoms <laughs> um i don't know i might join you with heavy metal dread even just generally i guess <laughs> like it's just too gross it's too or like like i don't know I don't know what they're going for with these ones, you know, of like, are we just, is this just, that's just what Hinklinton thinks Dread looks like. He's just got a weird neck thing. Like, it's, <laughs> I don't know why we're choosing this for, you know, I mean, talk all you want about Dread not being a hero or being kind of an anti-hero or something like that. But in the end, like, we got to read these comics. We got to look at them. You know, we got to be better than this. So I have to I'll assume there's a fan out there somewhere. Just like, wow, I, mean, I love this art. I'd love, I mean, I like the, like, I've enjoyed John Hinklinton's art a lot, but this one feels especially, like, I don't know, off-putting, I guess. <laughs> I, I feel like it's kind of the style at the time, though, of sort of this, I don't mm-hmm. know, like an early 90s indie comic kind of look or something like that. I don't know, I'd mm-hmm. love, if you're listening to this and, and you remember this era of comics, I'd love to know what you, what everybody thought about this heavy metal dread stuff specifically because it's really like it's definitely distinctive uh, like mm-hmm. but it you know I, I feel like i'm talking about like when someone talks about like a food of something like a dish that's made from like durian or something like that like one of these like <laughs> foods that like it's very well made but it's also just got some off-putting elements that you know you've got to mm-hmm. sort of be aware of when you're going into it for my top Ooh, I might say Armitage, actually. I, I really liked nice. it. And I, you know, again, like, it is built around these cop-on-the-edge tropes, but I love those tropes. So, <laughs> right, right. You know, the fact that it's doing that just means, like, yeah, no, that's what I like about it. That's what's good, right. you know. Speaking so, Conrad, yeah. Yeah, and I <laughs> also really like just the flashback stuff and, like, having one of these, like, you know, 
having Adlard's art in there kind of changing and the different eras of mm-hmm. Armitage and stuff like that. That was really great. And also I liked it maybe a little bit just because um, be, it, because we did this longer episode with four um, covering four issues means we got all of mm-hmm. it in one go, mm-hmm. which was sort of yeah. my idea for why I wanted to do this basically so that we wouldn't have to <laughs> like do two, two, do, do two sections of this story and then do the final one when we got, you know, the next week or something yeah. like that. That's sort of my yeah, my yeah. thinking, I guess. I also do think it is uh, uh, better in my mind. I di- didn't realize that uh, uh, it was the same artist for the black and white and yeah. the color. It, obvious now when you say it, but now I'm like, I'm going to study those pages and be like, huh, what is the, di- how does he approach it this different way? It like, is interesting just to kind of look at like, if, you know, if you can get a kind of similar shot of the faces mm-hmm. of the two Armitages just to see how they've changed mm-hmm. a little, you know, how he's mm-hmm. drawing the character differently, younger versus older and stuff like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I also want to give a shout out to uh, Death Mask. I also thought that was a really fun, mm-hmm. uh, cute one. Uh yeah, just just a fun one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I liked uh, this artist. Uh, uh, Jousis is is a fun artist. He did the he did the death mask, and he did um, the Warhog story mm-hmm. in this yeah, one. Yeah, very painterly. Yeah, exactly. He's got a very he's got a very distinctive painted style that I, I don't think we see a ton of. Um, or no, we see a little bit, but we definitely or like generally. And he's he hasn't really shown up in two thousand AD, so he's very much a, a magazine artist, and I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice, great. So I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Titch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at BigMeg1.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMeg1 at gmail.com on the 2004s or on our Facebook or Twitter pages. For all of those, check out Big Meg One with one written out and you'll find us. Feel free to drop us a rating or a review where you listen to us or suggest us, hey, if someone's looking for a cool podcast. The show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends at the 2004s. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash cradline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive some cool rewards. And then come back next time as we conclude our adventures with Mechanismo, Anderson, Sleaze and Ryder, and Els Baby and have some brief encounters with Judge Hershey and Devlin Waugh. Just hitting all the hits here. But, you know, because yeah. we're, we, we've got two months of things, we're sort of, we're seeing whole stories go by as we go, you know. And until then, I'm Connor, there you are, and we are Big Meg One. Drop it!